Well, Mother Nature doesn't seem to know what season it is over here in Canada right now. Doesn't really look like the first days of spring to me. But across the soccer world, we are now definitively in trophy season, and many of them were handed out this past week. Manchester City are the champions of England, PSV of the Netherlands, and PSG of France. Meanwhile, Toronto FC saw their campaign to become champions of CONCACAF take a blow in the first leg of the final. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and over the next 45 minutes or so on the Footy Talks podcast, we will get you caught up on everything you need to know in the soccer world. To help me do that this week, I've enlisted the talents of Charlie O'Connor-Clark. He is the site manager of SB Nation's Waking the Red blog. Charlie, how have you been surviving this uh, Game of Thrones-esque long winter we are currently having? <laughs> it's been It's been rough. It's been rough. I've just been trying to stay inside mostly yeah that that certainly makes a lot of sense and uh well that that winter for once it it didn't seem to help toronto fc very much at bmo field on tuesday that's where we'll start this show they lost two to one in the first leg of the concacaf champions league final against chivas guadalajara um so We'd heard so much in this game about about Chivas being this defensive team and um, about how they were the underdogs. They aren't quite as good as you know the two teams that Toronto FC have dispatched already. And in the case of Club America, dispatched fairly comfortably. But it, in this match, it sure didn't take them long to show that uh, they're a threat offensively as well. Um, how much did that early goal and Toronto FC just falling asleep defensively uh, change this match? That was, I mean, it it change everything completely but I mean honestly I was kind of surprised that even after that uh Chivas were still moving forward like without much uh much hesitation I think I mean I mean we saw it a couple times I think even after they scored like they were still kind of not not exactly parking the bus like I think a lot of us expected I mean maybe maybe they will next week but I mean the early goal they just kind of caught everybody by probably caught themselves by surprise that they were able to <laughs> cut through the defense so easily in the second minute of the game yeah it was definitely not to start anybody expected no we've seen toronto fc go away and um kind of kind of do the same thing where they score early and then they just completely sit back so yeah i'd agree with you the probably the first 15 minutes of the match it was almost all chivas where toronto fc just they look. They looked like a team, honestly, expecting to be on the front foot for the entire game, and all of a sudden, the other teams on the front foot, and they didn't really know um, what to expect. But they did get one back, um, which could end up being a crucial goal through Jonathan Osorio, who's had just an incredible uh, tournament. And things started to to go well for them towards the end of that first half. They, um, I. I Again, we'd heard about this solid defensive shell um, of Chivas, and and I thought there would be a lot. It would be a lot more difficult for Toronto FC to break through them into the box, but um, they had a lot of chances, especially towards the end of that first half. And if you are taking anything into this next leg, um, in terms of positives for Toronto FC, it is that during that stretch they had all kinds of chances. Definitely, definitely. I mean, honestly, I I think TFC are pretty unlucky not to come away with a better result than that because I mean even looking at like the the stat lines from the game I mean I I would personally like I I I would say that TFC outplayed them for most of the game they just uh really couldn't (laughs) couldn't finish a lot of a lot of really clear-cut chances I think especially in the box I think that's basically what killed them in the end yeah, definitely. Um, and, and you know, at the same time, Chivas were able to finish the limited chances that they had. And one of them wasn't even really a full chance. It was l- late in the second half. Alan Polito, he's got a free kick um, on the sideline almost and curls it in past Alex Bono, who... Um, I guess kind of took a step forward, wasn't completely in position, was looking more for for a cross that he could claim rather than um, a shot directly on target. And Alex Bono's been fantastic during this competition for Toronto FC, but um, on that on that one moment, I mean, he'd certainly like to have that one back because um, that second away goal trouble for yeah. Toronto FC. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, and I think both he and uh, Greg Vanny even said after the game, like, yeah, that was. It was just a misread, I think. This didn't. I honestly don't even think Polito was really going, tr- 
like intentionally going for goal i i would probably say the wind kind of carried it that way a little bit but yeah i don't know i think in general bono just kind of i don't know kind of wasn't really wasn't really expecting such a such a challenge on goal from from that position and that that second goal i mean this makes this a huge result for chivas a lot of people or a lot of the mexican media are already deeming this over as a result of you know them them being up two to one how big was that second away goal in terms of what it now means toronto fc has to do and the i guess the comfort it gives a team that are so good defensively and did show um that they could stop toronto fc on a lot of occasions oh it was it was huge i think chivas are going to be going into the next leg with a lot of confidence they're going into their stadium with a lead that they uh they know that the job is pretty simple from from a from a kind of basic tactical standpoint it's just keep the ball out and that's kind of <laughs> something that they've been really good at throughout this tournament i think they've kind of been able to scrape a result in the first leg and then kind of lock it down and then this time for once they're actually getting that home leg or that second leg at home so that they can i think they'll be feeling pretty good about their chances now yeah and they they really seem to take this seriously, whereas, you know, there's some questions about, about Tigris. You know, they didn't start uh, Gignac in that first leg. Um, and then Club America, you know, the comments from, from Miguel Herrera saying that MLS doesn't compete with Liga MX. And um, in terms of what this Chivas team looked like, you know, they, they saw that Toronto FC had beat two of the best teams in, in Mexico, and they seem to take this very seriously. Um they they looked fully prepared for Toronto FC. Uh, what difference does that make a team that really looks like they're dialed in for this? Yeah, it was it was pretty impressive. I think Chivas definitely more than either of the other two sides really kind of they showed some respect for their opposition in this game because obviously TFC have have gone through two teams that I would say would are on paper at least markedly better teams than Chivas. Or more talented teams, so I think they definitely kind of gave gave this game the the attention that it needed. And it definitely showed. I mean, they they came in. I mean, even their their just attitude on the pitch and when they scored, like it was it meant a lot more to them, I think, than than the Tigres or the the America players because they were they were just coming into the game with I think just more of a more of a mindset that this is actually going to be a real challenge against a really good a really good team that's taken out some other really good teams that Chivas themselves have struggled against throughout this season. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you almost wonder how much injuries and as much as this isn't an excuse for Toronto FC, I mean, obviously um, we saw Chivas team without four key starters um, travel to Toronto FC and get a result. But um, for Toronto it just seems like they're going through such a tough time right now and all this fixture congestion to start the season, not to mention the short off season has um, really been tough on Toronto FC. Um, how much have they missed guys like Chris Mavinga at full health? Obviously, Justin Morrow came on but didn't really look himself. And Victor Vasquez, who knows what's going on with him And um, in terms of, of breaking down a Chivas team that um, does play so defensive. A player like Victor Vasquez could be so important in this series. Yeah, I think the injuries are definitely definitely a factor, especially Vasquez, because he's kind of the only the only one of these guys that they don't have a proper similar kind of replacement for him. Because I mean, he's he's a player that they they obviously brought in specifically to deal with teams that'll that'll kind of shut it down defensively and play kind of a kind of a tight tight system in and around their own box so having a guy like Vasquez there to to play the through balls and kind of get it past that kind of organized back line that's something that would have been really really helpful to to Toronto the other night and I mean if he I, I think that they should be doing everything they possibly can to try and try and get him fit for for next week because I think that if they if they want a chance in this series and that's he would be a really, really big boost to their their shot. Yeah, even 45 minutes of Victor Vasquez could be huge for them. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of injuries, 
Josie Altidore was throwing up on the pitch. This is the second time we've seen it um, in this season. He obviously had a, a bruised ankle that um, was the problem going into this game. I mean, it it um, against Club America, he had to come off early at the Azteca. Uh, how much of a concern is this in terms of um, you don't want that to be happening again, especially um, when you're chasing a game against against Guadalajara. You don't want a player like Josie Altador um, to only be able to play, you know, the first 20 minutes. That's a huge risk. Um, but at the same time, he's a player who almost every big game of late he's delivered for them. So um, what do you make of, you know, at what point should Greg Vanny potentially say, okay, Josie, we're bringing you off the bench or um, Josie, we're not starting you. Um, because there's there's the ego at play here. There's there's what he's done, but also, um, you know, you don't want to hurt the team by uh, risking putting a player out there who's not a hundred percent when you have decent options in in Ricketts and potentially a Jordan Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I I really don't think that he's a guy that you can really justify starting on the bench for for any kind of big game. I mean. It, I don't know what it is about Josie, but he just always seems to be picking up little injuries or illnesses in big games. I mean, even I think it was the the conference final last year when he twisted his ankle or something and then scored a goal and had to go off immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think because Vanny did say after the game that there are a, a few players on the on the team that have been kind of dealing with a, with a stomach bug since they got back from Mexico the last time. So I'm. That's a little bit of a concern, I think. And he's he's saying that he said that that Josie was probably just still feeling some of the effects of that. So that should hopefully be cleared up by next week. But still, I mean, obviously a guy like him who kind of plays a game, a very kind of athletic, physical game. He's obviously somebody that you want feeling healthy and able to to outrun defenders and body them off the ball and stuff like that. So you don't want him really feeling any kind of kind of illness or pain or anything. And how much do you think the pitch made a difference in this game? Obviously credit to the BMO field grounds crew um, in terms of what they had to deal with. The pitch was actually in pretty good shape, but um, it did seem to bobble a lot. The The Toronto FC players didn't seem as quick as usual. They like to play those quick passes and um, it just they just didn't seem to, to make it there. Now, I watched Toronto FC 2 last night and the pitch obviously a day later was even worse. I mean, um, Toronto FC 2 has this new guy named Mino and he was he was just trying to run up the field and, and cut through players like a Sebastian Giovinco would do. And it was hilarious. Like, the defenders weren't giving him problems. It was the field. He'd get by a guy, and then the ball would pop up on him. So um, in terms of the, the big club, Toronto FC, uh, how much of a difference do you think that made in this match and potentially helped achieve a side that um, we're looking to do a very different thing? Yeah, I think it it definitely made a difference. I mean, I think in the... The, the home legs against Tigres and against Club America, I think the the pitch and the conditions maybe weren't as much of a problem just for, for TFC, just because I think against teams like teams like that it was more of a more of a kind of a leveling factor. But I think against Chivas where where they're not the more technically talented team like TFC are, I I think it definitely definitely hurt a lot of the a lot of the little little movements that they were making kind of around the, around the wings and in the box and stuff because that's kind of Toronto's bread and butter right and if you can't really <laughs> roll the ball consistently or <laughs> confidently then it's going to be it's going to be hard to play passes through anywhere so i think it was definitely it was definitely an issue i mean obviously they're never going to blame any kind of a result on the pitch but it was looking really really bad by the end of the game yeah for sure and um you know going into that second leg now um what does Toronto have to do differently because in a lot of ways you know they they give this same performance again or a somewhat similar one um clean it up a bit defensively but um, you look at, in terms of the expected goals for this game, and expected goals, uh, of course, are the number of goals a team would 
be expected to score given the shot quality and quantity. Um, Toronto won that battle 2.16 to Chivas's 0.93. So um, in terms of if you're looking at the expected goals battle, it, it should have been 2-1 the other way. Um, but Toronto, you know, in terms of going into that second leg now, what do, what do you look for that they can potentially do a little bit differently to make sure uh, the, res, the real result comes out on their side? Yeah, I really think that they need to kind of win the midfield battles a little more. I think the, the middle of the field was kind of uh, an uncharacteristically weak spot for them on Tuesday. I think, I mean, even Michael Bradley, he had, like, he had a great game defensively, but he wasn't really able to kind of be the engine of the attack that he normally is and that might have been that might have been the tight marking or or whatever but he wasn't really able to to play those those big passes that kind of spring the spring the attack so I uh in terms of the next game I mean I think I I definitely at least think that that Greg Vandy needs to maintain some some confidence in the the three five two setup that they had I think it was kind of a mistake to switch to four at the back at, at about halftime on Tuesday, because I honestly thought that they were definitely definitely doing a lot more in attack with the uh, with the three five two. So I think I think as long as they can kind of just play a play a fast game, they need to kind of rely on the those quick little passes and the runs up the wing, which means that they definitely need to have that the width that having five across midfield will will kind of provide. So they they definitely just need to. Kind of, yeah, rely on that and play play shorter passes to kind of cut through a defense that's definitely going to be stingy at best. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, certainly once Toronto FC seemed to figure out the system a little bit more and um, essentially saw that, especially on Sebastian Javinko, wherever he went, they were going to follow almost to a ridiculous level and they, they'd start dragging players out wide um, and that created a lot of space in the middle not evidently for the midfield but surprisingly for Drew Moore who almost played as a third striker at times in this game uh, just running into the gaps looking into this next game you know obviously Moore actually did a pretty good job of that but um, would you want a guy like potentially a Greg Vanderveel or someone more technically gifted um, and offensively gifted in that center back role. Um, obviously it might not play out the same way, but um, that was where all the space was. And if you have a guy who can maybe better take advantage uh, of some of this space and some of those chances, um, could that potentially be a way that Toronto could unlock this stingy Chivas defense? Yeah, I think, I think definitely. And maybe, maybe not even just just using the space, but I think if they had someone, like ideally Mavinga or actually more ideally if they had Nick Hagland in the in the back line I think they'd be able to challenge in the air a little bit better I think that a couple times when uh when TFC were playing balls over the over the back they didn't really have anybody who was able to kind of finish off those those chances anybody from the back either and I mean I think that's kind of a lot of the reason why they were so impotent from from corners and set pieces I think I mean as much as Drew Moore would like to think that he's going to be the the goal scoring hero <laughs> and as awesome as that would be I uh I really don't think that that's really going to work out I think you definitely need somebody with a little bit more talent both with the ball at his feet and in a kind of getting into space and finishing ideally a a longer ball, somebody like a, a Hagland or a, or a Mavinga, I think would be better in that role. Drew Moore did say that he's expecting a historic night in Guadalajara coming up on this next Tuesday, so uh, maybe we will see Drew Moore uh, score a big goal for Toronto FC, but um, in, in terms of the odds for Toronto FC now, um, where do you put them at? Because I don't think anybody really expected the, the first leg to go quite like this, so now that they're behind the eight ball a little bit, um, you know... What do you expect from this team? Do you think they can climb out of this hole they've dug themselves? <laughs> I mean, if Ashton Morgan can score against Club America, then anybody anybody can be the hero. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's a good point. 
I don't know. I mean, I we've obviously seen this team do some pretty pretty incredible things, and we've seen that they they usually come back with a really big performance whenever they lose. That was pretty much pretty much what happened all of last year, I would say. And I and we also saw that when they're going into a single game where they have a very clear goal, like where they when they were going into the final against Seattle or really any of the games against Tigres or America, they can definitely get themselves up for it. So I think I think mentally they definitely are not not going to be counting out their own chances. But I think I don't know, it'll it'll obviously be hard. I think if they if they score early, maybe in the first half hour of the game, then I think it'll be a really good finish. But I don't know, I think the longer the game goes on, the harder it'll be to kind of expose Chivas because they probably will will start to, to bunker down a lot more the, the longer the game goes on if TFC can't find the goal there. And while all of this has been happening, of course, um, there's been that those pesky Major League Soccer fi- oh, fixtures no. that have kind of been sprinkled in. Um, and uh, so so we will talk about those a little bit. Toronto FC, obviously, this past weekend uh, played the Colorado Rapids, and they lost 2-0 to uh, Colorado Rapids' side. I mean, it, it was it was almost Toronto FC 2 playing against the Colorado Rapids, Colorado Rapids honestly. Uh, Ryan Telfer and Julian Dunn made their MLS debuts, uh, and a bunch of other players made their first starts. Uh, this was a very much a reserve side from Toronto FC. Um, but there were some positive performances from Toronto, certainly, in this match. Um, for you, of the youngsters, uh, who stood out the most, Charlie? Um, well, I mean, of the of the real youngsters, it definitely has to be Liam Fraser. I mean, he's he's kind of a guy that I think a lot of fans are excited about. He's been I mean, you hyped him up as the next Michael Bradley, I think, on our <laughs> site. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think that he was pretty good, pretty, pretty comfortable. I think I would say in his in his first game, and it was pretty exciting to see him get his first his first appearance with the first team. And I thought he was, yeah, I thought he was pretty confident on the ball. He didn't really do anything majorly wrong. I mean, he did foul uh he he did he did give away the penalty but i mean even that was a pretty soft call i thought but uh yeah i think if if we're picking one of the one of the youngsters that would definitely would have stood out it was it was definitely definitely fraser in my books because the other i mean dunn didn't really play much and telfer i don't know he was i i he was he looked a little bit a little bit behind the pace i mean he wasn't he also wasn't really sticking out I thought but I mean not not really much to write home about from the game in general yeah fair enough um to, to be fair I did say about Liam Frazier he would be Michael Bradley's replacement eventually not <laughs> not the next Michael Bradley there's a difference there but um, <laughs> um before too many more people jumped down my throat but at any rate um the one the one player in terms of the full team um, who stood out to me in this match was Agar Akeche. Um, he he kind of showed a glimpse of what he could be for this team in terms of uh, that long shot ability um, and you know just his general technical ability which has always been there but this was the first time he kind of uh, put it together more in a full match. Um, if Victor Vasquez potentially isn't good to go um, against uh, against Chivas um, on Tuesday. Do you think Agar Akeche is a player? Obviously, we saw them bring him in very late in the first leg, and it didn't look great, but um, neither did most of Toronto FC at that point. Do you think this could be a player that they, they might almost have to bring in in terms of a guy who can uh, has shown he can unlock defenses? Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, I, I honestly wouldn't have been surprised to see him even start on Tuesday. Uh, considering what kind of what kind of Chivas team that we thought we thought we were going to be seeing, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, I I would definitely not be surprised to see him in the lineup because that's probably what they need just a little bit more creativity, especially from kind of an unknown quantity that Chivas won't really know a whole lot about from only playing ten minutes against him and not really probably not really having all that much film on him, I would think. But um, yeah, I think I think 
especially if you're playing a team that's likely to to maybe sit back a bit and kind of clog up the box having somebody who can be that that threat from outside will kind of force them to at least stretch out a little bit more to kind of come to the top of the box and mark him a little bit so they, they won't be able to commit as hard to just clogging up all of the space in the in and around the penalty area so yeah having somebody with that specific left-footed cannon talent I think it's something is definitely definitely something that could be a factor in this game. And before heading down to Guadalajara uh, for that second leg, uh, Toronto FC they will take on the Houston Dynamo this weekend in Houston at 3 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Um, and well, we'll see what Toronto FC side gets there because uh, most of the first team apparently will already be heading to Mexico at that time to prepare for the much bigger Champions League game. Um, that might even include coach Greg Vanny, who said today at training apparently that uh, he will make his decision at the end of the day. Uh, wishes he could be in two places at once, but um, he, he may not even be on the bench for this game. So that shows you how much of a reserve side this will be for Toronto FC on on the weekend um do you think this has been the right decision though in terms of um sacrificing really which is what it has been these these few league fixtures and uh evidently would have helped a little bit if houston uh maybe had said let's not play this game let's move this game into that world cup window but for houston you want this toronto fc team versus the one that you would be getting um during that world cup window so um has this been the right decision for toronto fc to um to you know sacrifice a couple league games uh, in in pursuit of this cup i think ultimately yeah i think that i think that's definitely what you have to do if you're trying to to be the first mls team to win this tournament i mean i've definitely seen a lot of a lot of fans pretty upset that this game hasn't been moved but i mean if i were tfc i'd be pretty grateful that even dc agreed to move the game a couple weeks ago i mean if you're if you're houston why would you not try and steal three points from the champions when they come into your into your stadium? I mean, it just it just makes sense from a from a a Houston standpoint to just kind of want to want to get a result that you definitely wouldn't have wouldn't have gotten as easily, I think, if uh, if TFC weren't going so deep in the Champions League. But yeah, ultimately, I mean. You you have to prioritize the more important game. I mean, I don't know. I don't know about playing like literally a reserve side, <laughs> as they like they did pretty much against uh, Colorado. But I mean, especially if you're going down to Guadalajara, I think you definitely want the whole team there. Especially if you're trying to trying to come back from a an aggregate deficit, you really need to focus pretty hard on exactly what you're going to do for the more important game and you can't really be distracted by something like a game in Houston yeah and maybe if these are home games they uh, play a little bit more uh, of the first team in terms yeah. of ju just the travel they can get out of Toronto quickly and also because you know the fans will have paid to to see these games they will want to see quality soccer and that's mm -hmm. fair enough but uh, when you are going on the road I think it, it does make it easier to justify not sending the main squad. Um, but but as we mentioned, uh, Toronto FC versus Houston Dynamo, that definitely won't be our game of the week no. um, for, for Footy Talks podcast listeners. Uh, you, you might want to skip that one, or uh, <laughs> if you are really interested in Toronto FC, um, it, it'll be a good match to watch. But there are plenty of other great matches uh, across the soccer world this weekend. Again, this being trophy season, there will be um, a number of those potentially handed out this weekend. Um, Charlie, what do you have in terms of your game of the week? Uh, my game of the week, I have to go with the FA Cup semi-final on Saturday, the Manchester United and uh, Tottenham. I think it'll be a pretty great game, to be honest. I mean, I'm not trying to come at this as a homer because I'm I'm a United <laughs> fan, but no, I think I think it'll be a great game. Spurs are a really fun team to watch, and they have been all season. I mean, United aren't always a fun team to watch. They're usually quite a frustrating team to watch, actually. <laughs> but uh, I think I think it'll definitely be a really, a really interesting game, especially because both sides could really do with winning a trophy this year to kind of 
kind of kind of give them something to something to write home about from this season I think yeah for sure and uh, another pair of teams that will be looking to save their season with a trophy will be Sevilla and Barcelona mm-hmm. um, they will meet in the Copa del Rey final um, in Spain that that being the Spanish uh, FA Cup I guess you could say um, the big Spanish tournament that is my game of the week and uh, we'll talk about that game a little bit um, an interesting one two teams of course recently outed from the Champions League uh, to different levels of scrutiny certainly uh, we'll meet in the final on Saturday um, apparently this is the most common matchup in uh, Spanish Cup history which is makes it a little more interesting definitely two teams familiar with each other um, this this would be Barcelona's fourth straight Copa del Rey title, which is incredible. It's the first time since the 1930s a team has done that. Um, and it also comes at a time when um, they're currently undefeated in La Liga and looking to, to wrap that up. Um, but they almost it seems like they almost need this trophy if they want to save some face. Their season was labeled as a disaster after how they went out to Roma in the Champions League. Um, how big of... of a distraction almost would winning this trophy be and securing a double. Yeah, I I really don't subscribe to the to the narrative that the season is a disaster. I mean, they had one bad game I think in Rome, and yeah, and I think if they if they can pull this off on on the weekend and win win the the Copa del Rey and then finish see out the league, I think that's still a pretty successful season in my books, especially mm. if they can finish out the league uh, undefeated. I mean, I think that definitely, to me, at least, trumps falling out of the out of the Champions League because of one pretty rough performance against Roma. But I, I don't think it should be all doom and gloom for them. Yeah, for sure. And uh, this game's huge for Sevilla as well. They, th- This is almost all they have left to play for um, in terms of they um, they were bounced from the Champions League as well and it uh, doesn't look like they're going to be um, a top team in La Liga this season. They're three points out of that uh, fifth spot place, which would secure a Europa League spot. And they're, uh, I think it's like something like 17 points out of a Champions League spot. So evidently that's not going to happen for them. So um, this is a huge opportunity for them to to really save face in their season. And they are a good cup team. I mean, they've had that success in the Europa League. Uh, they beat Atletico Madrid um, on the way to making the final this time. And evidently, uh, they beat a certain Manchester United team in the Champions League, which I knew you uh, didn't want me to mention. Um, <laughs> but uh, how big of a game is this for them? And uh, what kind of a challenge will they pose to Barcelona? I, this This is definitely huge for them. I mean... They they also would definitely really like to see some kind of some kind of a silverware from this year. I mean, I I'm not super confident in them for this game to be honest. But I mean, they we they have shown over the past I guess maybe year and a half or so that they are they are good at kind of tactically showing up for a one game kind of kind of knockout scenario i think i think they can definitely cause some trouble tactically they're a good defensive team i think they'll be able to kind of kind of give give barcelona's biggest attacking talents they'll give them a little bit of a little bit of trouble uh i think especially early on but i think ultimately quality wins out and i think i think i think this is definitely going to be a cup for barcelona but i would be happy to be i'd be happy to be wrong about that to be honest (laughs) Um, speaking of of cups and and champions uh, and another team you probably don't want to talk too much about but um, the uh, Manchester City um, they have won the Premier League and uh, it did come down to Manchester United uh, losing (laughs) 1-0 to West Brom so um, they they staved it off for one week with their big win uh, over City but then couldn't get it done um, in, in the next match. Um, I almost put Manchester City in the same category as Barcelona right now in terms of teams that they they are having these such solid domestic seasons. 
but then they go out in the Champions League and and everyone seems so quick to label um, their seasons you know as as poor performances and obviously so much stock is put in the Champions League right now but um, I, I almost seem, or it almost seems to me that people, um, just because of how quickly these teams are wrapped up, or how quickly these teams have wrapped up their leagues, and the fact that there's been no real definitive. I mean, maybe if Manchester City does beat United in that game and they have that moment where um, they lifted the trophy, um, it's a little different. But there's no definitive moment where. The, you know this trophy was won it's been wrapped up for so long and it almost seems to take um, the accomplishment away from this do you think we can fully appreciate what Manchester City has done this season because it's been incredible yeah I think it it has been hard to say they just haven't really had the the big moment that I think any kind of any kind of big season needs they just haven't had the one kind of celebratory I guess image yet. I guess they'll probably get it this weekend when they kind of march in and lift the trophy but yeah I mean it is it is genuinely impressive that they've managed to to win the league this early I mean it's I don't think it's been in doubt at all this year I think pretty much every other team in the Premier League has (laughs) had their fair share of problems and defensive lapses and just difficulties this season and City's just been far and away the best team in the league um but I mean, they've like in Europe. They've they've never really been good in Europe. Like every, whenever they kind of have a good season in the Premier League, they seem to be going out in the group stage or in the <laughs> in the round of sixteen in the Champions League. And I mean, I think that's just I don't know what it is about them. They've just never really been able to get it done continentally, despite being just far far and away better than any other team in their own country. What does this this title say about Pep as a manager? Because so many people said, um, and and of course this was kind of the old school British thinking that you know his style of football it just wouldn't work in the Premier League. His tactical play, his always chasing chasing the goal, not playing really negative football that we've seen um, win the past few titles. Um, but Pep went out, he attacked, he stuck to his principles, and he was able to win. I know as a, as a fan of football in general, um, th- this makes me happy because you uh, obviously this is a team that spent a ridiculous amount of money on their squad, but at the same time you want to see attacking football win. Um, what does it say about Pep that he was able to to make this happen in the Premier League, a, a traditionally stingy league, if you if you want to call it that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely shown a lot, especially when you kind of put him in contrast to to what Mourinho's been doing, kind of across the city, um, where you, where they're they're also spending a hell of a lot of money, but playing pretty pretty pitiful soccer. So I mean, yeah, Pep has been kind of a breath of fresh air, I think, in the league. I mean, as as much as you can hate on them, like City, City do play a very entertaining brand of of football. I think so. Yeah, it's it's in general. I think good for good for the league because we'll hopefully see see this kind of maybe kickstart a bit of a bit of a change in in the mindset around the Premier League. Maybe with even teams like you've got Liverpool over there as well playing a very very attacking style of football. So I think that might be the start of maybe a bit of a shift in in what we're seeing in in a traditionally very conservative and defensive league, I think. And the tough question, the historical question, um, where does this team match up in terms of the greats of the Premier League? Um, You look at this season and they finished first, or at this moment, they're first in shots, shots against, shots on target, shots on target against, goals, goals against, expected goals, expected goals against, expected goals per shots, possession, pass completion percentage, uh, PPDA, PPDA against. Uh, you're going to have to ask your doctor about those last two um, <laughs> stats. <laughs> um, but in terms of almost every statistical category, they've been so darn dominant this season. And uh, evidently, they aren't invincible. They they did lose that one game. But um, in terms of how far ahead they've been from the rest of the competition, where do you stack them up historically? Um. Well, my, my hot take is that they're absolutely not the greatest Premier League team of all time. I am uh, the United fan. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would still give that to that uh that two thousand four Arsenal team, mm. who just kind of ended everybody's life. But 
I mean, ob- obviously they definitely stack up. There were some of the greatest teams, but I just don't think that they that this year's city have been may maybe not like not perfectly consistent. I mean, they've definitely had some pretty pretty ridiculously shocking performances, especially in the last maybe two weeks. Uh, so they're they're definitely definitely impressive and incredibly talented and one of the greatest teams that we've seen in a very long time but I think I just don't think that putting them in the same in the same breath as that 2004 Arsenal team or the <laughs> the 99 United team <laughs> I I just don't think that it's it's quite a a perfect comparison I just don't think they're quite at that level yeah, fair enough. Um, let, let's move on to the Champions League. We're going to quickly uh, take a look at the games coming up on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Um, the first one, of course, the almost the underdog battle in terms of, of big clubs around Europe, uh, that being Liverpool and Roma, that will take place on Tuesday. Um, there's, there's the interesting connections between these two clubs, that being uh, Liverpool, they lose arguably their best player um, in the transfer window to Barcelona, uh, that being Philippe Coutinho. Uh, of course, Roma beat Barcelona. Uh, Coutinho can't play, or can't play in that leg, of course, because he's cup-tied. And then Roma's star player, um, he was brought to Liverpool in Mohamed Salah. So these are two teams that... Um, this season, they lost two very big players. Um, if if you want to talk about Roma, they lost um, Rudiger as well, so they lost mm-hmm. two big players. Um, but they were able to make it to this cup final, which is kind of counterintuitive in terms of what we've seen by these super clubs recently. It's the big spenders who uh, almost get rewarded for their investment. Um, how surprised are you that both of these teams have gotten this far? Really surprised, definitely. I mean... I I think it's awesome to to not have the same four teams in the semifinals every year. Um, yeah, it's I I think it's going to be a lot of fun though. Roma Rome, Roma's a good story. I mean, they've they obviously had that pretty magical win over Barcelona, but they're 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 just always kind of that team that people seem to maybe forget about. They're like the maybe like the fourth Italian team people would people would ever think of. And I just I think it's a, it's a lot of fun to see someone like someone like them where they don't really have a lot of big stars or flashy players. They're just kind of kind of chipping away at it and they've managed to get this far and I think I think that's a lot of fun. They're kind of a team that that most people who people who don't have a rooting interest, people can definitely get behind Roma. <laughs> Do you think they do have enough magic to get this done against the Liverpool team that, um, you know, they haven't had the biggest test so far this competition, although evidently they did just beat um, Manchester City in the last in the last tie. Um, You know, do do you think they have enough magic? Because Liverpool has to be the favorite just in terms of what they've been able to do in this competition. Yeah, I don't really think so. I mean, I I definitely obviously you can't rule out a team that just beat Barcelona in the Champions League, but uh, I I don't know because Liverpool obviously lives and dies by scoring a ton of goals, as we've seen even in this competition, especially in the in the group stage, and I I don't know if Rome was going to be able to to hold up in in kind of a shooting gallery sort of tie if that's what it ends up in. I. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would be awesome. It would be fun to see. I'm just not sure that they have the talent to kind of match Liverpool's goal-scoring ability. And on Wednesday, the uh, you know the heavyweight tie in terms of these semifinals, that being Bayern Munich against Real Madrid. Uh, you you spoke about teams who uh, traditionally get here. Those would be two of those clubs. Yeah. Um, they are both you know big giants of Europe's. Uh, Bayern's going to win their league this year. Real Madrid have been dominant in the Champions League of late, but in terms of this competition, both haven't looked all that great. I mean, uh, Bayern won two one at at Sevilla. Um, but that game was a lot closer than that scoreline suggested, and then it was nil-nil at home. Uh, they almost just saw out that result against, honestly, one of the weaker, if not the weakest, quarterfinal team. And then 
Real Madrid, I mean, they, they have Juventus dominate them in that second mm-hmm. leg. And, um, I mean, it was a penalty, but it, it almost feels like they, they were able to escape from that game where all the momentum was going against them. So both have shown their flaws in this competition. Um, which do you think uh, potentially might uh, be more flawed side? Um, well, I, I personally don't think that Madrid deserved to be in this game. <laughs> Honestly, I mean the the end of that of that last game against Juventus was just just brutally heartbreaking for everybody except for them I guess but uh <laughs> yeah to see Gigi Buffon sent off in the in the closing stages of a Champions League game that sucked but uh yeah I I don't think either team is is obviously without their flaws but I think Madrid have definitely had a lot of stumbles this season that have been kind of uncharacteristic of them the last few years. I mean, obviously, they've been at this level so many times before, and they know what it takes to win a Champions League semifinal against pretty much anybody. Mm. But I think Bayern will be just a little bit hungrier, and they're I think they're a little bit better, honestly, at this point. And I think they've played better over the course of this season I and I uh I would have trouble counting out what uh what Byron can do in in this game I think that's that would be my pick honestly to win the whole the whole Champions League at this point well yeah I think there's a pretty good shout that the winner of this game will end up winning the Champions League um although you can never count out Liverpool or I guess Roma at the moment as well but um in terms of uh in terms of Bayern, the one thing you would say, and this can be a positive or a negative, because um, it, it, in terms of potentially rest and and um, you know just just confidence as well, um, this is a team that you know they're twenty points up on Schalke in the Bundesliga. Um, they've won twenty four matches in the league this season. They're also in the German Cup final. So domestically, you know, as almost always, it's been very easy for them. And then you look at the Champions League, you know, they beat uh, Besiktas, they beat uh, Sevilla. Um, so these aren't the toughest opponents they've had to face so far. So um, do you think that, what do you think that means for them, that they um, haven't had the toughest, you know, season so far? Hey, weren't we just talking about how tough Sevilla are in cups? Um, <laughs> That's true. Good point. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I think that... Well, in, in the league, at least, that's just kind of a product of being Bayern Munich. I mean, you never really, unless unless Dortmund has a good year, you're usually kind of the club in that country. And I think that's definitely something that, that's nothing new to them. They've definitely kind of learned to, learned to kind of kind of deal with, with being the the major club in, in their league. But in the, in the Champions League as well, I mean, in terms of, in terms of, improving as a side you definitely want to be playing the big teams you want to be playing against the Barca's and the Juventus's and all them but I don't know I, I don't think it really hurts them to have an easier route to the to the semifinals I think they st- I mean they've still obviously played some tough teams and I think they've and they've played tough teams in the past and a lot obviously with a lot of similar players in the side now it's not it's not like they're going up against unknown quantities against big teams so i d- i definitely wouldn't say that an easier route has hurt them at all and but i mean i mean i wouldn't say it's been it's been a good thing for them either but i mean you definitely you definitely want to be going up against against big teams in terms of kind of picking up form and figuring out how to play against these types of sides but I think I think in general it probably won't be that much of a factor fair enough and uh let's move on to the final segment that being this week's crazy soccer story of the week and surprisingly this is the first time we've had one out of Russia I don't imagine it will be the (laughs) last time um on on Saturday a third division match in the Russian city of Mashuk uh took 
got off to an interesting start. The uh, the match ball presenter usually, you know, at Toronto FC games, this is a kid or or a fan that they've selected. Uh, well, for this game, it was a bear. Um, <laughs> the bear, his name is Tim, and he was guided onto the track uh, surrounding the pitch before the game to hand the match ball to the referee. Um, then he started clapping along with the fans, which was great. Um, uh, kind of unfortunately, this didn't turn out to into like a, that scene from Semi Pro where Will Ferrell he uh, tries to <laughs> wrestle a bear as a promotional uh, move, and uh, the bear uh, gets out and kind of hunts down people. I mean, obviously we're happy nobody got hurt, but it would have been fun to see at least somebody chased. Uh, but this was a pretty well-behaved bear. Uh, it, w- it was a good boy. Um, what, what do you make of this? And uh, do you think we might see more of this uh, in the World Cup this summer? This is this is awesome. I mean, I, have, I watched this video for the first time earlier today and just couldn't stop giggling at the, the bear <laughs> clapping along with the crowd that was applauding him. <laughs> I mean... I mean, you do have to think the poor animal probably doesn't know what's going on, but yeah, it's it's incredibly Russian and just awesome. And I would I would love to see more bear content at the World Cup. I think they get, I don't I don't know what kind of form Akinfeyev is in at the moment, but he could probably play goal for Russia. I think. <laughs> Yeah, pretty good catch, yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Um, yeah, in terms of uh, in terms of you know issues with with FIFA right now and with World Cups, I don't imagine animal abuse would be even in the top ten. So uh, <laughs> not, but I, I think mean, this would be. <laughs> I mean, if, yeah, if FIFA is trying to check all the boxes of just complete <laughs> corruption as an organization, this would be the next one, I think. Yeah, put this on your uh, corruption bingo card for this summer. Um, At any rate, that brings us to the end of yet another edition of the Footy Talks podcast. Thank you very much for joining me, Charlie. Uh, What can we expect from Waking the Red in the next few days uh, leading up to that huge second leg against Chivas? Um, Well, lots of coverage of the really important game against Houston on the weekend, first and foremost. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm sure there'll be lots of usual stuff we'll just be talking about what TFC need to do and what their what their chances really are in this game down in Guadalajara. So yeah, I guess look out for stuff like that especially especially starting Sunday, I'd say. Yeah, and for the Footy Talks podcast, uh, I've been Mitchell Tierney. We are only a few weeks away now from Footy Talks 5 at the Rivoli on May 3rd. Uh, head over to homestand.ca to get your tickets. Uh, Footy Talks pod regular Joshua Cloak, he will be on the Toronto FC panel, and uh, you'll also get to listen to Christian Jack, Brendan Dunlop, and a number of other of the big names in the Canadian soccer landscape. Uh, I look forward to seeing all of you there, um, and have a good week, everyone.